Welcome to Metal Minutes by Cornerstone Building Brands, a podcast series where we talk about hot topics in the metal construction industry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Metal Minutes by Cornerstone Building Brands. My name is Lexi Edwards, and I'll be your host today representing Cornerstone. With me, I have Carrie Barger from Star Building Systems. He is the Director of Build Service, Claims, and Warranties. Hi, Carrie. How are you today? Hi, Lexi. Just fine. (laughs) All right. So today's topic will be the top five frequently asked questions about metal building insulation. So you know a thing or two about metal building insulation, Carrie? I have been uh, involved in insulation um, in our projects, yes. (laughs) Good. Just the guy that we need. So um, before we get started, let's just kind of cover um, the most common insulation used for metal buildings. So what, what is the most common uh, insulation that we use? Well, uh, the uh, blanket insulation is probably the most common uh, insulation of uh, four to six inches laid directly uh, between the outside panel skin and the structure. And for many years, that was probably the only insulation you found on metal buildings. But uh, today's uh, insulation has gone at least four to five generations in trying to increase uh, the use and thermal efficiency of the insulation. Okay. So so how is insulation usually installed on a metal building? Okay, um, as I said, it's layered between the panel and the structure, and so you have to lay the insulation across the framing members, and then the panel uh, is laid on top of that, sandwiching it between the structure. Fasteners uh, that are used to attach the panel is what holds the insulation in place. So it is um, captured between uh, the two layers. Got it. All right, let's get into these top five questions. Okay, so number one, my fiberglass insulation got wet during installation. Is it ruined? No, it's not. Uh, That happens uh, quite often if it's uh, dealt with um, quickly uh, from the standpoint of making sure that you can limit the amount of moisture uh, and not over a long period of time. But it's not unusual to have some insulation uh, exposed to a short rain during uh, the installation, and um, that doesn't ruin the material. Okay, so does that mean that the installer has to wait for it to be completely dried out, or can it just move on as planned? Well, obviously, it'd be best to have it dried out, and most of the time when it's uh, uh, caught at the moment uh, during the installation, they can fold uh, the insulation back on itself, prevent it from getting completely saturated, and just have minor dampness uh, into the fibers. Once uh, that uh, passes, they can spread it back out, and it would be advisable to allow it to air dry, uh, which it will, uh, once the sun comes out, and then put a layer uh, panels over the top to cover it. 
Okay, so you recommend for it to be as completely dried out as possible before continuing? Yes, obviously uh, moisture in the insulation is not a good thing from thermal efficiency nor any bacteria that might be introduced uh, through soil or blowing soil dust inside that that would stick there. But uh, for a minor amount of it, and once it's um, stopped, uh, if it's just the introduction to moisture, then it pretty well ceases to uh, have any further problems. It's only when you leave it in a prolonged uh, state of dampness and uh, it repeats uh, over and over uh, over a period of time that it becomes a problem. Okay. So, um, should there be any concern about mold or mildew? Well, again, as I mentioned, mold and mildew have to have moisture present. It also has to have bacteria growth there. Otherwise, if that's one element uh, eliminated, it will not continue to grow. So okay. we're not too concerned about that. Only when you have roof leaks or continued water or there's been an introduction of a lot of soil or some other organic material that would start the mold. Sounds good. And uh, is there any, at any point that um, an installer would know for sure, okay, I need to remove this and replace it completely? Yeah, I think uh, the, uh, every erector has probably been exposed to that decision, and um, they pretty well take steps to protect it. If it becomes damp to the touch, it's not unusual for metal building insulation to become damp between the insulation and the panel under normal circumstances because of vapor pressures that force some migration of condensation between the panels. It's not unusual for a building to go through a cycle of dampness and then drying out over a period of time. So considering that level, uh, a small sprinkle or dampness is not going to uh, prevent that insulation from being used uh, will dry out over time. And so that uh, decision by the erector would be if there were a downpour or if it's completely saturated and stretched the material, was not going to be able to be aesthetically uh, installed correctly, then uh, you would, might want to make a decision to avoid erecting there or replace it. That's pretty rare. That makes sense. Okay, so moving on to question number two. Can I paint my facing? So, well, my first question is, what is the facing of insulation? Okay, well, the facing is uh, the binding uh, membrane that holds the fiberglass together and then provides a vapor barrier or an aesthetic uh, appearance from the inside of the building. So that liner, as we call it, or the membrane, can be painted, but often uh, because it's PVC uh, or a reinforced paper product, uh, it sometimes cracks or does not hold up well because that uh, material is flexible. So you can imagine trying to paint the car seat or some cushion on a chair in the same fashion. It, it doesn't hold up well, but the supplier does have uh, some colors available, black, 
for example, white. Um, and so you can pretty well pick between uh, one or two different uh, colors that they have available, but it's usually uh, black or white or silver. So whenever you paint a facing, let's just say that someone does choose to do so, uh, does that affect any ratings, like fire rating or anything? It could be considered uh, some influence because those fire ratings are very careful to list the components of the construction. So adding something to it obviously is going to change it to some degree. Um, it would be difficult to say that it's going to be any significance because most of the time that layer of paint is going to be either a latex or an acrylic and not a flammable uh, oil base. Uh, paint. So in general, it would be acceptable, but in order to comply with uh, a strict compliance of the fire rating, you would want to get that um, approved by the uh, fire marshal. All right, let's move on to most frequently asked question number three. So we've got, what causes condensation in my metal building? It's pretty simple. Uh, most people have experienced condensation uh, with a drink on a hot day and they realize that if it's a cold drink, you begin getting beads of sweat on the outside of the glass. So it's pretty much the same thing because metal is uh, conducts temperature uh, very quickly and does not dissipate very well. It's going to be a cold surface on the outside and anything on the inside of the building that is warm or introduces any sort of moisture through heating or public uh, gatherings inside the building, that introduces a level of humidity. And that humidity then, when it reaches the metal, it then condensates. And unless you have means to ventilate that or dry it out, then, of course, it's going to uh, continue to add more in, uh, moisture into the building and then develops uh, sometimes in quite a large volume and can start to drip, um, resembling uh, what most people would think of as a leak in the building. But uh, the condensation is just pretty straightforward, humidity reaching a colder surface. Okay. So um, should that be of any concern um, to to the insulation? getting wet or damp? It is, a con it is a concern because obviously moisture in the insulation begins to fill up the air spaces that provide the insulation value. So having a, a significant amount of moisture in there is going to obviously reduce the thermal efficiency and then also um, start to uh, even leak or enter the uh, building on the underside of the uh, membrane liner. And so no one wants to have water uh, sitting in droplets uh, overhead in the building. So naturally, you have to take steps to reduce the humidity, ventilate, or put in an absolute vapor barrier uh, so that that humidity does not reach uh, the cold surface of the panel. You mentioned something about a vapor barrier. Um, can you elaborate on what that is and what it does? Yeah, the vapor barrier is the liner that uh, that you see from the inside of the building. And that uh, vapor barrier has a rating 
now. It uh, may fly in uh, uh, common sense to think that uh, a membrane would have complete impervious ability to allow any vapor to penetrate that, but in fact, some of the earlier PVC coatings did allow a certain amount of vapor to pass right through the membrane. In other words, uh, think of a blanket uh, being porous, allowing some moisture to pass through it. It's not completely impervious, but the ratings that they have now available into uh, uh, foil and uh, even reaching into a metallic coating, that reaches a higher level of permeance. So in other words, the humidity uh, is blocked from passing through it. Now you still have the joints and laps and holes that are cut through where you might be having a stack go through the roof. Those all have to be tightly sealed uh, to prevent any humidity from reaching uh, uh, up between the layer of the insulation and the panel. So humidity or vapor, however you want to look at that, is one and the same. And so we want to prevent that from reaching uh, up inside that insulation at all possible. Understand. So when you said that those those areas must be tightly sealed, does that usually take place at installation? Or is that something that needs to be done afterwards to make sure that the, the humidity does not pass through? Well, it needs to be done at insulation, uh, and that uh, takes place by the type of insulation system that's being introduced. You have several different types uh, that simply is the blanket insulation, as I described earlier, laying over the structure, or you have a full fabric membrane applied to the bottom of the structure so that it blocks any view of the members and then the cavity between the roof panel and the bottom layer is filled with insulation. That's a much higher uh, degree of insulation and vapor uh, permeability because you're able to stretch a full width membrane across the base or frames all the way across the building so it provides a, a complete vapor barrier. So it's best to do that at the time of installation. Sounds good. Okay. All right. So moving on to question number four. What are the longest, widest, and thickest rolls of fiberglass metal building insulation I can purchase? So let's start with the longest. Well, well the longest uh, is determined much by the how much thickness uh, that you uh, are able to handle at the job site. So it becomes more of a question of handling than anything else. Also, uh, shipping has to be considered, such as um, uh, the weight of the material. Uh, most often is provided in five or six foot uh, widths, and sometimes up to a hundred foot length, uh, depending on the thickness of insulation, can, can be quite uh, cumbersome to handle on the roof. So they reduce that or limit it by what the erector wants to handle on the roof and also uh, volume for shipping and uh, storing at the job site. So you're going to see rolls that are usually within four foot width up to 100, 110 foot in length, but um, 
can be specified in in longer links if if needed, but that's the most common length. Okay. So, um, is it kind of fair to say that the the thicker the insulation, the um, less length would be more realistic to to manage? That's correct. Okay. Uh, as you can imagine, six inch insulation quite often translate in more like six and a half or seven inch uncompressed insulation because of thermal regulations and insulation uh, manufacturers uh, guidelines. They usually provide slightly thicker insulation to make sure that it expands. So you can imagine six inches of fiberglass compressed and rolled into a hundred foot links going to be quite cumbersome to handle or heavy. So the thickness makes all the difference. If you're dealing with two inch or three inch, uh, then of course uh, uh, that reduces uh, the weight and the roll thickness uh, as well. So the thinner, you get longer links, but um, thicker generally becomes too heavy and cumbersome. So they limit the length of the roll. Okay, pretty straightforward. Uh, okay, so what about the widest, the widest rolls of fiberglass? Generally, uh, six foot is uh, the widest for metal building insulation. Uh, one being that our spaces between the uh, framing is generally five foot or less. And so uh, six foot wide is uh, usually uh, the most length that you want to roll out across the building uh, because you don't want to lay so much out ahead of you that the wind would pick it up and continue to fold it. So they try to hold it into a length where the width of the panel, generally two foot or three foot wide panels, would be able to lay across a six foot width of insulation and uh, be able to hold that in place until they get the second panel in place and then continue. So quite often they start with a four foot roll and then add six foot widths to that so that they stay just uh, out ahead of the um, panels being laid. All right, now let's talk about the thickest. What is the thickest kind well, of fiberglass I can buy? Well, the thickest uh, fiberglass insulation that's being bonded to a liner right now and that is the blanket insulation that I'm referring to. Generally, uh, maximum is about eight inches. Outside of that, if they are requiring thicker insulation to be applied, then they will use uh, four to six inch thick insulation on the blanket portion of the insulation, and then add layers of unfaced insulation above that. For instance, going to 10 or 12 inches is pretty common these days uh, to reach the thermal uh, regulations uh, by the city or state. And so it's uh, usually layered uh, from four to six inches, beginning uh, with a blanket layer and then added unfaced insulation up to about 12 inches. So you've got the blanket and then you're adding extra uh, amount of, of fiberglass insulation on top of that? That's correct. Oh, okay. And that just holds together on its own? Yeah, just friction uh, fit in there. Sometimes it's captured by what I described earlier as a cavity 
membrane across the bottom uh, of the uh, roofing members, the purlins, and that layers on top of that and then uh, held in place with the panel, the roof panel itself, keeps it from moving or adjusting. Okay. Interesting. So is, is the thickness of the insulation directly related to the R value? It is. And that's exactly how they measure the thermal resistance by the R factor. But what we have found over the years, it's not the R factor that you should be looking at. It's the U factor, which is the efficiency or working ability of the insulation as a whole uh, depending on how much uh, it's compressed uh, between the roofing members and the roof panel itself. So the U-factor gives you a total thermal envelope uh, ability to satisfy what the, the real uh, thermal efficiency of the building envelope is at. So we look at that and measure that rather than the R-factor. But Whenever you're asking for insulation, it's usually always by the R factor of uncompressed insulation. Okay, so if if the thickness of the insulation is determined, uh, or if the R value is determined by the thickness of the insulation, then how do you calculate the U factor? Well, that's usually a reciprocal uh, of the uh, value. In other words, they first start with the conductivity of the material, the fiberglass itself, in the airspace. So all insulation, whether it be foam, wood, whatever element you're going to use, it has a known value for thermal conductivity. So that conductivity is then taken and added together. And then by knowing how often it's compressed, then that reduces the uh, air cavities or the insulating value of that particular material. And so we have a uh, calculation that is usually the, uh, also includes the BTU loss of the building. Several other uh, factors are added into that equation that arrive at the U factor. That was a very good explanation of that. All right, let's move on to the very last, most frequently asked question uh, about insulation. That is, what is the density of fiberglass metal building insulation? The density, uh, there are different uh, dip, uh, densities available. They have a rigid form, but generally I believe it's at 25 pounds per cubic foot. So they take a unit of measure and the fiberglass uh, is the most common element of insulation, that there are paper products or other uh, forms of insulation such as polyurethane and all of that. So if we're just talking about fiberglass insulation, then of course that's measured by a certain known density of uh, 25 pounds per cubic uh, foot. Okay, so, so when would that come into play? When would the density of the fiberglass matter? Well, uh, again, the density uh, has to do with the layers of air that are trapped between the fibers themselves. So if you become, if it uh, is compressed somewhat to make it semi-rigid insulation, then it loses some of that uh, or adds density weight to it. 
but can reduce the thermal efficiency. So obviously the more air you can trap in there, um, the better. Sounds good. So um, going back to thermal efficiency, um, what kind of insulation, I guess, produces the most thermal efficiency? Well, you have to look at uh, the relationship of the thickness and the ability of that material to resist uh, thermal transference. In other words, uh, the BTUs of, of uh, measurements, which is a thermal unit uh, that a block of ice melts at a certain temperature. So that's probably the old standards uh, that's been used for uh, centuries in measurement of what that material is capable of holding a temperature uh, at a certain period of time. So the thermal efficiency obviously is going to be determined by the material itself. So it's very situational then? It is situational and um, obviously uh, the market has now embraced the foam, polyurethane foam, as the best insulation only because it reaches a better U factor, R factor for less thickness. So obviously, rather than having 12 inches of fiberglass insulation, you may be able to achieve the same thermal efficiency uh, with, say, three inches of thickness. So the polyurethane is much more efficient at holding temperature uh, than fiberglass. And so when you're not able to put in 12 inches of fiberglass, you may be able to work with three inches of foam insulation and produce the same R factor or U factor in the building. I understand. Okay. Well, that wraps up all the questions that I had. Uh, Carrie, is there anything that we did not discuss today about metal building insulation that you would like to cover? Well, you could actually have a conversation on that issue for hours uh, in reality because of the uh, new laws, thermal efficiency laws uh, that are in place to conserve energy. And again, as I mentioned, uh, you would also have to include foam insulation into that. Uh, but I would say uh, all in all, it's more of a science uh, today than it ever has been in the past. And so if you're interested in putting a building together and reaching the maximum thermal efficiency, then I think it's uh, best to do a little bit of investigation and sometimes even pay for a professional assessment. Uh, mechanical engineers do this often in commercial buildings to decide what insulation uh, you can have actually too much insulation uh, in some buildings and have to actually cool the building uh, because of the material ability to conserve heat so well. So it's not just a matter of getting the most insulation out of the building. It's whether it fits the use of the building more importantly than just having more insulation added to the building. Okay. So I would say... With the insulation, uh, ventilation is also just as important and so may require some professional uh, assessment of 
what the use of the building is and whether it's going to be the best uh, for that use. Uh, for instance, public uh, auditoriums versus just a storage facility is going to require two different levels of insulation and ventilation. Okay. Could the uh, the geographical location of the building also play a factor in how much insulation is needed? Hot versus cold climates? Yeah, it does. Um, it's pretty straightforward, but there's some areas that um, they have concern of adding too much insulation that is making contact with the roof panel. Oddly enough, uh, this is dealt with in states like Wisconsin and Minnesota, where they have extreme temperatures that can cause icing. So you sometimes have to separate insulation from the material, uh, the outside roofing material, to prevent icing at the eaves. And that can be uh, quite another problem. So again, not to uh, go into another topic, but uh, the application of insulation can be just as important. And in those areas where icing can occur, they actually uh, separate or try to separate the insulation from making contact to certain roofing materials to avoid heat transfer that would cause uh, snow to melt and then run off to the eave as ice. So that just plays into what I was talking earlier about how to consider insulation is just not a matter of adding more of it, but it's how it's applied that could create a problem for buildings in certain parts of the region opposed to others. So region makes a, a big difference in that. Okay. Uh, well, Carrie, thank you so much for, for joining me today and, and letting me uh, download all of your information about insulation. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Thanks for the attention. Hey, fellow metalheads. Thanks for listening to our episode. For more information, visit the blog section on our website or visit our podcast page for similar topics. Want to become a Metal Insider? Sign up for our newsletter for exclusive industry news and updates. <laughs>